0: When people in the paranormal community say things, you know, and one of the TV shows, they said this, oh, ghosts will never hurt you, or, you know, demons are, are not real, or you'll never run across them, or what, whatever the, the many offhanded comments that um, get thrown around, they're like, yeah, really? That, that only tells me that your level of experience ends over here. There is a lot more going on than you've experienced and if you say it doesn't exist, all that will do is make sure that you don't notice it rather than being aware at the moment.
1: Hi there, I'm Graham Gardner and you're listening to Adventures in Dowsing, podcast number 46. Well, my guest today is uh, David Franklin Farkas, and I met David uh, a couple of years ago at the American Society of Dowsers Convention. And uh, David hosts his own internet radio show on Empower Radio called The Farkas Files, and I've been uh, privileged enough to be a guest on that twice now. So I figured it was about time we returned the favor, and I got him onto the podcast. So, David, how are you?
0: Very good. So good to talk to you, Graham.
1: Yeah, always was a pleasure. Uh, so, uh, you probably, I'll just turn the tables on you and do what you do to me. So, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you get into dowsing and what you do.
0: Um, well, the dowsing part of it is actually a funny story. But um, I do remote healing uh, on land, buildings, people, situations, basically applying, as I like to say, the mature technology of indigenous cultures, which is basically a shamanic approach. Assuming that whatever is going on, there has been something that's been distorted or damaged or in some way over time isn't working correctly, and that you can go and find that and by correcting whatever that distortion is, the physical world will respond by things going better so um, it's it's interesting work
1: <laughs> so do you have a do you always work remotely
0: um, Yes, and there are several reasons for that, one of which is years ago when I was young and stupid, which is redundant, um, my girlfriend at the time um, was working as a drug counselor in a psych hospital, small private psych hospital, and they had a nursing strike, which meant that suddenly the hospital was empty. They had to refer all the patients out. And we gleefully looked at each other and went, let's clear it. So we got the keys and we spent hours going from room to room. And most of it was interesting and educational. And then like a movie, there was one more door at the end of a hallway. And that opened into another hallway, which only had three locked rooms. And you could palpably feel the intensity of the negativity and the evil
1: Hmm.
0: and we cleared two of the rooms without much incident and in the third room both of us could sense where this dark evil whatever it was was and I just you know went up and got in its face I don't know what I thought I was going to do psychic karate it was stupid and if I was scripting the movie, I don't know what it actually looked like, but I felt like I got lifted up and thrown against the wall, and I was being choked. Hmm. So you know, and it was one of those moments of, oh, I've heard about this, and I thought it was bunk, and now what do I do? And fortunately, the gal I was with um, was very good at what she did, and between the two of us, we we did get the room cleared. Um, but my feeling is, if I don't have to ever do that. I won't, <laughs> yeah, know, yeah I, to, to insert myself that closely into the environment in which a dark entity has control, no, if they want to come after me, they're gonna have to come after me where I am, and that's well protected, and there's my my entire security team, <laughs> sure, um. So that was one of the things. But the other thing is, just as a business model, how how wonderful is it that I don't have to travel and people don't have to pay me the expense of travel and uh, putting me up wherever I have to go and all the rest of it. I know people who work that way. And they charge thousands of dollars partly because of the, um, all of the logistics that have to happen. And, you know, people can call me up and I can work on it from here, whenever. So it's it's a, it's convenience, and I can, so why not? Sure, yeah. Uh, it's
1: also, I mean, I, I like to go and, you know, get my hands dirty and get get on the site. Um, and do you not think that, uh, in some cases, they need to see that something's happening? I mean, if I phone somebody up and say, okay, I've done it, you know, there's any difference, you know, it's kind of difficult well, for people to or, uh, get a handle on that sometimes.
0: Right, for many people... What was happening was pretty dramatic. Yeah. And it not happening is equally dramatic. And most of the time, if I'm working on a person, they can feel me working on them. Sure. I send them an email and say, I just worked on you. And they were like, oh, yeah, I was spacing out or I was buzzy or I felt warm or whatever it is. So the, there is a confirmation on that level. If I'm working on um, a property that, has obvious activity, when the activity is not happening and the place feels calm and peaceful, then people immediately notice what's going on. A lot of the work that I did and the reason that my website is called househealing.com is um, at the time when the real estate market in the United States was still really hot. One of the big issues was getting homes sold. So my little subspecialty became getting houses that, for no obvious reason, were not selling to sell. And of course, it's always fun to talk about the uh, the exciting things that happen, like a house that was stuck for months selling in three days, you know, or a house that nobody was looking at and suddenly there was a bidding war.
1: Yeah, uh, we get a lot of uh, uh, what estate agents call divorce houses here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, where you know marriages are falling apart, and they're selling the house, and you know it's not selling.
0: Right. Well, there's a I don't know what what you call it there, but here there's a term, stigmatized property. Hmm. And that's a property where something negative happened, and it's known. So there was a murder in the house. There was, you know, it was a house that was owned by organized crime or whatever the 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 dark drama is is known It's and also haunted houses yeah, yeah sure um, so you know which some people will buy because they think it's cool and other people will not go near because it creeps them out um, but that's known and just to make it totally crazy in different legal jurisdictions all over the United States the realtors are either required by law to reveal certain things or required by law not to. Because reviewing the information um, changes the value of the property. Of course, yeah. So, the, depending on what state and what area I'm working in, the realtors have different problems. What I've come to realize, though, is stigmatized property behaves a certain way in the marketplace. It doesn't sell if people show up they make an excuse and they leave Um, and it languishes on the market and the price drops Mm -hmm. and that's it just that's what happens and sometimes and typically what happens is the price drops enough that somebody picks it up because it's a bargain and they either don't care about what the issue is or they're reselling it or what what, you know it just becomes a commodity Um, but I've come to believe that any property that behaves that way, that is languishing on the market and the price is dropping, has to have something going on that isn't known that is affecting the property in the same way energetically. Sure. So, that's a lot of what I was doing in that little subspecialty is, we don't know why the property is not selling, we've done everything right, we've done the curb appeal stuff and painted it and, you know, staged it and done all the things that we've been told to do and people are still not showing up. And I do the clearing and then they get a lot of activity in the house househouse. Uh, because there's always something. And it could be from before the building ex- was built. Sure, yeah. It you know, could could be something from a 1,000 years ago that was Native American. It could be something from colonial times that involved a battle or something like that. Or it could be a financial or emotional struggle when the developers were building the building. Mm-hmm. So I had one property where they, they had lots of interest, but they couldn't get a deal to close. And we, when I found out what the story was, that building was built in that development for the developer. It was going to be his home. And all the subcontractors donated their labor as part of the deal of getting the work on all the other houses. At the end of all that, he couldn't afford to live there, and he sold it. Hmm. And the subcontractors took him to court. So there was financial wrangling and financial difficulty from the very beginning of building that house, and this poor divorcing couple couldn't get their house sold, and that, that was one where there was a bidding war within a few days. Cleaned it up, and uh, suddenly everybody came out of the woodwork and wanted the house, and um, so it's just it's fascinating stuff, and you can't always. Get a, a good reading on what the the actual history history was, or what the issue was, um, but clean everything up and things change. Yeah, and it's great when you do actually
1: get confirmation that um, oh, I think it was such and such, and you know they do actually say yes, that's what it
0: was. Right. You know, right. So, yeah. Yeah. Does uh, or or when I can see it psychically and it's a clear impression with date details and that kind of stuff which does happen but yeah. what I found is that the story doesn't make the clearing better and it takes up my time and my focus mm-hmm. so I really don't ask all that many questions about the details because it's not going to help with the outcome that we're looking for
1: yeah, now I've, I've uh, been to your workshop where you were doing your paper dowsing method uh, uh-huh. do you think you could uh, describe that to us briefly? Would it make sense without? Uh, well, yeah,
0: and, yeah, and it's actually a good segue into the story about how I got wound up at the Dowsing Convention and learning about Dowsing, mm. um, which is one of those most people don't live this way. Um, I live in a relatively small college town, and in the course of a week. After introducing myself and explaining my work, two people said, oh, do you, do you go, are you a dowser? I said, no. Do you go to the dowsing convention? I know several people who go to the dowsing convention. So after the second one um, said that, I said, well, I probably should find out. So I called the office of the American Society of Dowsers and I told them the story. And uh, the two people I I spoke to said, well, you you definitely should be a speaker at at the Dowson Convention. So I called up and I said, this is crazy, but we all know that this stuff doesn't make any logical sense, and here's the story, and what do you make of it? And they said, oh, would you like to do one presentation or two? (laughs) (laughs) So I came up and did my... um, my ghost talk, you know, is, is everything you know about ghosts dead wrong, and it was well received. And I, the as you well know, the convention is as much about hanging out with people as it is going to the the little talks and hanging out over lunch and in the hallways and all the rest of it with people who have been dowsing in a wide range of areas of expertise for their entire lives 30 40 50 years. Mm. I learned so much so fast and started using dowsing as a way to collect data for what I do quickly. And I realized that there's a line between dowsing and being psychic that doesn't most people don't look at a whole lot. You know, I, I call dowsing being psychic for non-psychics <laughs> yeah you know if you're not getting it as a sensory impression or at least you have not developed your way of understanding your sensory impressions um, you can douse and basically dowsing is a questioning method and it creates a computer computers just say yes or no ones and zeros So in dowsing, you ask a question, you get a yes or no, you ask the next question, you get a yes or no, and you continue down a thread of questions based on the answers that you get. Well, wouldn't it be great if you can combine the two? So if you're asking a question, why do you have to get yes or no? Why can't you get a number? So I started doing that. If I'm working on a person, one of the first things I check is the chakras. So I started mentally asking, what per- what percentage open is this chakra? And instead of having to really look at it psychically, I just started getting numbers. Hmm. So I could tell if a chakra was zero, I knew that that was shut down. That gives me specific kinds of information. Um Then I started doing that with the list of entities that every dowser who does clearing has. We all have a slightly different list. But, you know, ghosts, demons, elementals, whatever it is that you always look for so that you can do your your clearing protocol. And instead of expecting yes or no, I started expecting a number. So is the number a finite number? That could be confirmed. I've occasionally had a psychic confirm it for me. Either the person living in the house says, Oh, yeah, my indigo child has described that there are three ghosts and one red guy who turned out to be a demon. Um, or some other way that somebody on site or that knows the situation will give me a confirmation of the numbers, but it really doesn't matter. It could be order of magnitude. If I get dozens, that's a different kind of thing going on on that property than if I get one or two. If I get an infinity sign, that tells me something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that happens. Like, you can't count these. This place, you know, they're everywhere. Yeah. Um, it It just means that I have a different kind of work to do. Yeah. But it gives me that information. The coolest part of it is that when I do the clearing... I can say, am I done, and my hand now, from doing it for a long time, will automatically cross out the things that are cleared. And if it doesn't automatically cross it out, or I can just go down the list and ask the question again and see if it zeroes out. Um, so I can tell if I miss something, but also if a client calls me back and says, you know, something's not quite right, and things change. So I can quickly go down the same list and see what's there and go, oh, we've got a new ghost. I can deal with that. So it gives me a benchmark for looking at it more than one time rather than having to do the whole process over again. And The other thing that I, I realized since I have an artistic bent is that... You can get a lot of information by the way it feels to draw or write something on the paper. So I ask the question what does the energy of this location or person look like? And by the kind of squiggle I get and the quality of what my hand is doing, am I pushing really hard in an agitated way or is it very smooth and um, calm? I can get a lot of information about either a person or a place just by drawing a squiggle. So this is like uh, automatic writing? It's um, it's a form of automatic writing. I'm not looking for words, though. Right, okay. So
1: you haven't uh, taken it that far where something is actually communicating through you.
0: Um, it's just not what I'm looking for. Sure, yeah. So, you know, th- and that's... Automatic writing is an interesting way of looking at it, if I ask questions and I hear an answer and I write it down, that's slightly different than automatic writing. If I ask a question and I get an image, um, you know, basically I, I see better with my eyes closed. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I see something, whether it's a symbolic image or look, looking at what the property looks like, and I can be pretty accurate with that. That's a different kind of information. If I ask the question and my hand just writes a word, that's automatic writing. Yeah. So, again, the range of ways to get details is really broad. You can also, most people are empathic. Most people that are doing any kind of spiritual work um, are empathic and will feel it in their body oh, that doesn't feel right, or it feels like there's ghosts here, or what, whatever that is. That's feeling it in in a way that you start to understand in your body.
1: Yeah, but most people uh, have kind of evolved, or, or grown up, rather, to pr- program that, that information out, just to right. deny it's happening. Yeah.
0: Right, except for the indigo kids who will tell you, <laughs> yeah. you're the one that's crazy, not them. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> they know. Yeah. Um, but, but that's something that, you know, call it women's intuition frequently, any number of other things where you have a feeling in your body. Learning to parse out those feelings and understand what the code is, you know, what, what, what it means when you get that feeling in your body, um, allows you to get more information. A lot of people get their information directly through the crown chakra as a random thought. And what most people do, you know, it's like tripping over a rock. You just keep walking. (laughs) Like, oh, that was weird. Mm. And you don't particularly do anything. The difference with somebody who learns that they get their data without any hooks as thoughts is you start doing a dowsing process with, with the information. So if I get the word ghost or I get the word something else, I start asking a series of questions. I have a conversation with it. Yeah, and that conversation is just like the Dowsing conversation it's the same thing except that rather than yes or no you may get more information as you ask each question but it's assuming that consciousness is communicating with you and first of all that it's data and secondly that you're not crazy <laughs> um, and learning how to use utilize that
1: Hi, I'm Yvette Fielding uh, and I'm the presenter of a show called Most Haunted and you're listening to Adventures in Dowsing from the British Society of Dowsers And here's a rundown of some events coming up in the next month or so from the BSC and their local groups. On the 6th of September, the Trenkrum Dowsers in Cornwall are running an advanced Dowsing for Health workshop with David Leasley from the Isle of Man, and that's called Awakening the Ancient Mysteries of the Shaman Within. And on the 13th of September, Trenkrum Dowsers running a dowsing trip to Chun Castle and Chun Quoit in Cornwall. Also the 13th of September, Cardiff and District Dowsers have Peter Knight talking about stolen images, pagan symbolism and Christianity. On the 25th and 28th of September, Susan Collins and myself are running a four-day masterclass in Stirling, Scotland, Self-Empowerment with Dowsing. You can attend for one, two, three or four days and just look at the website internationaldowsers.org for details and booking. Also on 28th of September, Somerset Dowsers have Gillian Lowe speaking on the Infinite Scope of Radionics. And on the 3rd of October, Trenkrum Dowsers in Cornwall again, have Anne Ludgowski talking about animal communication from the outside in. On the 8th of October, Hampshire Archaeological Dowsers have Jane Ellis Shone talking about antiquarians and archaeologists, the discovery of ancient Wiltshire. So, lots of events coming up in the next couple of months. Check the main website at BritishDowsers.org for more information. And if you have a dowsing event that you would like us to mention, drop us an email at podcast at com. And now back to David Franklin Farkas. Uh, I was curious as to how he got started in this work, so I asked him uh, if, if he was like this as a child. So, at what age were you when you became aware that you had all this uh, psychic ability, and you know, how did uh, that develop for you?
0: Yeah, people always ask me then, you know, were you psychic as a kid? And I say, no, I was just a pain in the ass. <laughs> um, you know, which is partly being from Brooklyn, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I was the one in the family who could see through the codependence and manipula- manipulation in the family dynamics. My dad did it, you know, and this will sound like Star Wars. My dad had it. I had it. Um, you know, in in a family like that, you either get sucked into it or you stand there and go, no, I don't think so. Mm. So I got very good and also because I was living in New York City at a time when it really was pretty dangerous. It's not nearly as dangerous now all these years years later. Um, so you learn to have, you know, spidey sense. You learn street smarts. You learn to be tuned in to everything that was going on around you. Nobody would have considered it psychic particularly, um, intuitive maybe, and you just developed that stuff. It wasn't until... I was in my late 20s and I hurt my back and I r- stumbled across yoga and started practicing yoga and then my teachers started pushing me to meditate. And when I started to meditate, I immediately was looking at things that most people would have thought were totally crazy. And for whatever reason, I was able to look at them and go, well, I know I'm not crazy, so what is this stuff? And, you know, I, I had basically instantly started looking at the lower astral plane, which is a messy place to look. Um, and that started started me, my fascination with it, but also looking for more things to do. And it wasn't a time when there was a teacher on every corner. <laughs> so it took more effort to find people who... Um, first of all were available and secondly weren't phony so I did find um, a woman who was a medicine woman and did a couple of workshops with her I did some psychic development stuff and continued practicing yoga and stumbled into a hands-on healing workshop my wife at the time um, was a health practitioner and the conference she was going to was in a place that I like to hike. <laughs> so I went with her. And in those days, there was no security at conventions and that kind of stuff. You could just walk in the room. And the workshop sounded interesting. And I went in, sat in the back to see what was going on. And it was a workshop on therapeutic touch, which was, is kind of the, it was developed as a hands-on healing method for nurses to use in hospitals and they were including it as part of a nursing PhD program Um, but the nurse who was doing that had a teacher who was part of the theosophical lineage so Mm -hmm. it was very deep ancient healing lineage And they started teaching you know, some basic hands-on healing stuff, and I could immediately do it, and other people were struggling with it. And I kind of went, am I doing this right, or is it supposed to be hard? And they were like, no, you're running a lot of energy. Um, So I started doing more stuff with them and hanging out with them. And then my father, who was seriously ill, and I rushed out to California to take care of him while he was going in for surgery. And, you know, I was a beginner, but I worked on them and did all the stuff that I I knew how to do. And one of the teachers had mentioned that water holds the energy, kind of as a throwaway line. And so I asked for all of the IV bags that were going to be used during his surgery to be given to me so I, you know, in quotation marks, could pray over them. And they looked at me funny but what difference did it make and my dad came out of brain surgery and went home in 10 days with some you know home support staff coming and going periodically he basically walked away from it Hmm. um how much of that was what i did how much of it was how feisty he was i don't know um but it sure got my attention
1: Sure, yeah, and the important thing is that you made that effort You know.
0: Right, Yeah. so a few years later I was going through a divorce And my dad, I called my dad on his birthday And he didn't recognize my voice Like, this isn't good So I called some friends of his And they rushed down there and got an ambulance I thought it was probably um, a stroke or something Turned out it was a second brain tumor so I rushed out to California again, and um, there was a, an intense interaction in his hospital room with his friends watching because everyone, um, everyone was hovering over him. He was, he was a well-loved man, and I had gotten a phone call from the charge nurse on the floor in the middle of the night. And she said, I almost never call family, certainly wouldn't call you at this hour on the East Coast, but we really don't understand what's going on with your dad. We've got him on suicide precautions, but he's not suicidal. He appears to be trying to escape. (laughs) And I said, tell me exactly what he's saying. Tell me. You know, what's the story he's he's telling? And I immediately knew what deep, dark fear of his had just jumped up to grab him. So in that conversation, when I got to, to California and got to the hospital room, I was basically walking him through what actually happened, which was the police didn't come in in the middle of the night and snatch him out of his house. It was the ambulance crew. Hmm. And they were shining lights at him, and they did tie him down, you know, but it wasn't the paranoid fantasy that had been lurking in the back of his head his whole life. Um, And, you know, when he finally realized that I was the one who initiated it, it was the EMTs, all the rest of it, he sat back and basically said... What is it? And I said one word, you know, keyword about what what that dark family history was, and he just sat back and went, "Oh God, totally got it." Hmm. Um, and I, I walked out in the hall, and his boss, who was a therapist, said, "How long have you been in practice?" And I, said, I practice what? I'm not. And he said, "Well, never mind." what do you know about psychic surgery? And I looked at him and said, oh, it's one of those days. (laughs) (laughs) I've gotten used to non sequiturs. There's a story here, isn't there? He said, well, yeah. You know, there's a guy locally who's had a lot of success with people with uh, various kinds of cancer, and he was trained in the Philippines by psychic surgeons. So... I'm going to try and, when when dad comes out of the hospital, let's get him hooked up with him. So, we did that, and what came of that was not my dad being healed, because he was basically done. It took me a while to accept that. But he was not going to go through radiation and chemo again. He was not going to fuss around with healers. He was just exhausted and done and didn't want to struggle with anything anymore. Um, but the man I was introduced to became my teacher. And in the midst of all this, somebody else said, oh, you work with crystals, you you need to meet this Cherokee medicine man who is known as the crystal grandfather. And he not only became a good friend, but supported me through taking care of my dad while he died and, you know, just became... A mentor and a friend very quickly. Um, So it became clear to me that I needed to clean up the mess of the divorce and finish up the school year on my teaching job and come out and learn from these guys. You know, basically it was obvious I was supposed to be on walkabout. And um, so I talked to Greg, but the last person I talked to before I left was the Cherokee medicine man, the Ketoa. And it was it was a typical conversation for the two of us, but it was funny in retrospect. He said, uh, see so coming back? I said, yeah. I said, you know when? I said, no, but if this conversation goes like every other one we've had, you're about to tell me. <laughs> I said, well, yeah, There's there's something that most white people will never see, but you're ready to see it, so... Uh, Pick me up at this time on this day. (laughs) So I did what I needed to to be there at that time on that day. And we drove a couple of hours into the Central Valley and through the gates of a reservation and up a hill. And as soon as we were out of sight of the gate, there were armed guards, um, armed Indians with weapons. Wow. Looking in the window, going, Kira, who's he? Oh, he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we go all the way up to the top, and everybody's very excited to see him. And he says, you know, find a place for yourself. Set up your tent, blah, blah, blah. So, so where are you staying? said, so, oh, I'm not staying. I got company coming. You got to take me home. So, <laughs> so I drive him all the way back. And I drive back by myself through the gate. And he gave me a scrap of paper that literally said, he's okay, Kirawa, that I had to show to each one of those <laughs> armed guys uh, as the sun was setting, and you could hardly see where you were going. Um, and I spent four days at Sundance out of, you know, added, dropped in there from the middle of nowhere. Um mm-hmm doing sweats and fasting and being part of the circle. I didn't dance because, obviously, I was an outsider. Um, But it was also – there were circles that were elders teaching all of the people in the encampment what the old ways were. And I was the only white person there that was not married to a Native American. Mm. It was extraordinary. And then, of course, on the last day, I had to go back and pick up Kidaua because he had to come back and in full regalia. And you know, oh, Kitawa's here. So <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't until years after after Ketua died, and I was in Canada at another event that involved, having, you know, as one part of it had sweat lodges that were run by. Um, a First Nations medicine man, and I said, you know, it's so wonderful to sweating on, It's like going home. I haven't done that in a long time. And so he said, "What are you talking about?" And I told him, and he said, "Oh, who'd you study with?" And I said, "The Kidoa," and he li- literally did one of those, pull your head back, like really. <laughs> I said, uh, "Yeah." I said the Kidoa, "You studied with Kedua. uh Yeah. So he was much more well known and in whatever way important than I ever figured out, you know. And and the persona that I got a lot was cranky old, cranky old guy that needed someone to take care of him. Just which is not like you at all, David. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's like what? And and I called him on it once. You know, like, you know. If I believed what you were saying now, I would have to let go of knowing that you are a powerful medicine man. Mm. And he just looked at me, Ah, oh, shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so has he been, has he been your uh, biggest influence, do you think?
0: He, he put me in situations where I got to experience things that completely changed me. Hmm. He would take me to reservations and drop me off, put me in, you know, in the hands of somebody else and say, take care of him and take him to the sweat, take him to here, take him to there. Um, You know, it was several years of having experiences that were, um, that changed the way I understood how everything works. Yeah. Now, could I explain it to you in, you know, a simple story? Not really but it was being around people who had that understanding and having those experiences and you know <laughs> saying did did that just really happen and them smiling at me and went going mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know and then my life became like that um for a good part of that time i was out there for um 3 years studying with the two of them and um uh, And it was all experiential. If I asked a question, neither one of my teachers would answer it because that takes you up in your head and takes you out of the experience. So typically, there was not that kind of, and how did that work? You know, the answer always was, now you know you can do it. How many times do you have to do it before you accept that you can do it? Yeah. And, um... And some of the experiences were extraordinary with with Greg. (laughs) I was coming back from somewhere, and my guides very clearly said, stop at Greg's house. It's 8 o'clock at night. He's not expecting me, but I go to his house and ring the bell. He's like, what are you doing here? I said, they told me to come. (laughs) Okay, come on in, have tea. And we're sitting and chatting, and he's shaking his head trying to figure out why in the world this is happening and the phone rings and there's a woman shrieking and he's trying to calm her down and he's pulling paraphernalia out of the bottom drawer and uh, he says I'll be right there hangs up the phone and says so you want to do an exorcism (laughs) well they told me to come here for something so I guess so (laughs) and it was you know like the movies yeah, what, the whole uh, green bile, revolving head? Well, no. <laughs> That's, that stuff's spunk, but, you know, a person who clearly was not themselves shrieking and writhing around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I I did what I needed to to release the demon from her, and then he came after me, which was really exciting. Mm. Um. But... You know, there are not many confrontations where somebody is trying to stare me down at this point that affect me at all, having had a demon do that. Yeah, that would do it, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, just rewires you. What's
1: been your scariest moment? Well, you've already heard two of them. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, they're pretty good. <laughs> but, you know, when people in the paranormal community say things, you know, and one of the TV shows, they said this, oh, no, ghosts will never hurt you. Really? You you just haven't had that experience yet. Um, Or, you know, demons are are not real or you'll never run across them or whatever the the many offhanded comments that um, get thrown around, they're like, yeah, really, That, that only tells me that your level of experience ends over here. Yeah, Um, There is a lot more going on than you've experienced, and if you say it doesn't exist, all that will do is make sure that you don't notice it um, rather than being aware at the moment.
1: Yeah, ignorance uh, is a great protection in itself.
0: Well, except it doesn't make the the problem go away. No, yeah. you, You can get badly hurt. Yeah. I'm always amazed, especially on the TV shows where they're going for the drama, where they go to an extraordinarily dark, a place with a very, very dark, violent history. You know, the deepest, darkest, uh, solitary confinement area of a psych hospital for the criminally insane that was open for 200 years. Yeah. And then they do provocation. Come out here and show me yourself. You know, make yourself know. Like, who do you think's down there?
1: Yeah, it's like going into an animal cage at the zoo with a big stick. And, you know, poking <laughs> the lion, isn't it? Right,
0: yeah. right. Or going to um, a military installation, historic military installation, and doing the same thing. Well, whoever you meet there is going to be a soldier who has a responsibility. Of challenging you and killing you if you don't have the password. Yeah. <laughs> so don't be a jerk. Yeah. These are human beings that don't know they're dead, that are still being who they were because they haven't crossed over yet. Don't be stupid. Um, and that's the thrust of a, you know my talk, which you've heard several times, which is this all makes sense if you look at it from the ghost side. Yeah. You know the the ghost is is a human being having an experience, and they don't know that they don't have a body anymore, and that makes it really confusing because nothing works right.
1: Yeah. So what's the uh, the weirdest thing you've
0: had? <laughs> uh, what well, you know, Maureen? Um, oh yeah, yeah. We uh, our standing joke is just another day at the office. <laughs> <laughs> because we we can tell each other the totally off the walls things and we're just like yeah okay <laughs> that was only slightly weirder than some of the other things that have happened yeah. um, you know it's like how, how do you create a scale of weirdness <laughs> um, as, as soon as you assume that everything is conscious and can communicate with you. Um, the The number of things that can happen in your life that everybody who doesn't have that experience will think is weird is enormous. Hmm. So, you know, continuing the story of my dad and being in California, when he died, um, he was very well loved at the place that he worked. He worked with... Um, developmentally disabled kids and uh, so there was a very big ceremony memorial ceremony for him and they planted a tree in his name out behind the building so when all the pomp and circumstance was done I went to find the tree and Scal who I was sharing house with, housemate very kindly came with me so I wouldn't be alone I didn't know what she was getting into and so we went down to the tree and I sat and kneeled at the tree and said just internally said thank you so much for holding the energy of all the love for my dad but you don't know who he is so I want you to to know who he is and what the story is so that you can really do this and I just did a download of who my father was and how much I loved him and what he did throughout his life and all the rest of it. It might've taken a minute and the wind came up, it shifted 90 degrees and it blew this little sapling over. So it bowed to us.
1: Wow! isn't that lovely?
0: And then it sprung back up and the wind died down instantly. Hmm. And this poor gal who was sitting next to me was like, did that just happen? <laughs> How yeah. do you do that? <laughs> yeah, welcome to my world. Yeah. yeah. Um. So you know, th- there's always fascinating things going on, hmm. and the stuff that <laughs> what was, what was the line from? Um, Men in black, you know. That's a 9.0 on my weird shit demeanor. <laughs> um, you know, the the ones that are, that feel creepy to me are typically things where demons are trying to sneak in and disable me. Hmm. And that, which is a body sensation, and it means that I didn't, with everything that I normally do, I didn't notice. Um, I have to call in reinforcements and you know, whatever. Um, so that, that's a creepy one. Um, I can go to places and not see what's going on, but also have my version of the hair on the back of my head, my neck. There's no hair on the back of my head. <laughs> <laughs> on, on the back of my neck. Um, giving me a signal that something is not right um, and then I can focus and ask questions and find out what what's going on but you know that for people who are highly sensitive I have a friend in Australia who's the most clairvoyant and clairaudient person I have ever seen and she has a hard time just walking down the street. She has to have her guides set up shielding because she'll hear everybody's thoughts while she's watching their auras. I mean, she she picks everything up. Mm. Um, talk about a relationship based on honesty. And you couldn't tell a joke because she knew the punchline. <laughs> it was just amazing. Um, but she became very sensitive to Wi-Fi and couldn't be in a lot of typical places in the corporate environment, because the Wi Fi is everywhere, and she takes a couple of months, several times a year, to go in the outback and just hang out in a place where there is no electronic noise. Yeah.
1: I think you because, told me about this actually when I was on your show and we were talking about the technopathic yeah. stress. Yeah.
0: Yeah. She's extremely sensitive to that stuff. So, how are we, you know, each one of us has our sensitivity. And the things that feel wrong, feel creepy, feel whatever it is. Most people never sort it out, so they can do what they need to to protect themselves, heal themselves from whatever has occurred because of it. You know, think of it. Um, well, there are a couple of obvious things. I basically can't go to bars huh. because because bars are first of all I don't drink, but <laughs> But bars are full of ghosts who are trying to possess people who drink so that they can have a party. Yeah. And this is, you know, widely known and goes on all the time. So I walk into a bar and first of all, I can feel all of it. And secondly, the ghosts all get quiet and and basically say, oh, God, it's him. Because evidently they can tell. Hmm to which my response is leave me and my friends alone we'll be fine this is your party not mine just give me a lot of space and of course there's always some idiot who's got to come and challenge me Um, same thing went on in Las Vegas where everything is a casino you know there are slot machines everywhere in the airport in the hallways and um, I got the gal who brought me in to speak got me a room to use to do private sessions with people in one of the casino hotels. I had to walk through the first floor with all the casino and everything. And I had never seen demons acting like fairies. They were giddy. It was their place and everybody comes there to do the stuff that's not allowed and the demons were just having a field day and I walked in and they got quiet. Hmm (laughs) You know, all looked up, and I was like, it's your, your place and your party. Just don't mess with me. I mean, if I if I got rid of all of you, a bunch more would come in. I know that. I know what this game is. And, of course, again, there was always someone that had to, oh, I can get you. Yeah, no, you can't. Um, so, so that stuff gets really strange.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I wanted to ask you about uh, uh, the building clearance. Uh, is there a, a big difference for you if you're clearing a, a single dwelling or clearing a big sort of corporate building? Or is it just a difference of degree?
0: There are a lot of different factors involved. Yeah. I guess uh, where
1: I'm where I'm going at is the the greater number of people that are going through a, a business building. So you have a lot more mm-hmm. sort of personalities and stuff right. coming in that way.
0: Typically, if I'm asked to do you know an a single office or you know a floor of a business um, in a larger building, what I need to do is isolate that space as if it was floating in midair yeah and clear what's going on within the space that's their environment um, I've done that with individual offices in college buildings and you know, individual apartments in a high-rise apartment building. Um, sometimes it requires doing more than that, depending on geopathic stress and the uh, the ground that's affecting the whole building or some crazy emotional trauma that affects the whole building or whatever it is. But um, it is possible to, in effect, take a slice out of space-time and say, okay, I'm just working on this and set up um, an energetic frame around it in which you can do the work and you can contain the energy and and, um, do it that way. But that's a really fascinating question about big cities, especially a place like lower Manhattan and New York. Um, Most people just feel the buzzy energy of all of that. But if you're standing on the street in most of downtown Manhattan, there are the high-rise buildings on both sides. So they have the people and the emotions and all the craziness that's going on, plus the mechanical structures that keep the building running and the air conditioning and the electrical and all of that stuff and all the computers and the Wi-Fi and all the the rest of that. What most people don't think about is that in big cities, especially a very old city like New York, there are typically at least six levels of sub-basements and tunnels. Yeah. So in Lower Manhattan, the lowest tunnels um, are actually the canals from New Amsterdam. Hmm. But there are subways and there are steam Tunnels that, because a lot of Lower Manhattan is still heated by live steam from steam generation plants, um, cable raceways, all kinds kinds of other stuff going on. So underneath you, there is both emotional stuff and mechanical stuff.
1: Yeah, and these uh, are all portals as well, where stuff can come in.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. So when when somebody who is sensitive walks through that environment. It's you know you're you're on the street and you figure it's a lot of uh New Yorkers who move too fast and um are belligerent or not paying attention or what all the things which are true, but there is so much more going on than that, so for people that for a person that's very sensitive um it can be over- overwhelming pretty quickly um, and can you? create some kind of isolation so that you can walk through it without being affected as much yes and no (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's a constantly changing extremely complex um energetic environment yeah so there are there I people like me i'm very happy that i live in the country now you know i'm 10 minutes away from the nearest town and it's not that big, not a, not isolated out in the woods, um, but other than the road noise, because there's a very active secondary road that I live on, um, I'm basically in the country, and right now, my my downstairs neighbors are camping for two weeks, so their whole emotional environment is quiet. And it's really quiet, and it's really nice. (laughs) Um, It can be creepy sometimes, but it's really nice. Uh, Yeah, that just
1: uh, reminded me of my first visit to New York when I was about, uh, I guess, about 22, I think it was. And just going, my God, everything's so fast. You know, just being completely overwhelmed on the streets, you know, and having to (laughs) deliberately psych myself up to that level of energy. Right. Just to deal
0: with it. Well, I... I love telling this story because nobody believes you can do it. Um, I lived at one end of Brooklyn, basically one end of a subway line, and wound up going to City College Uptown, part of the City University system, because I thought I was going to be an engineer, which, thank God, I wasn't. Um, That is about 30 miles as the crow flies, Mm -hmm. and it's two hours on the subway. So my daily commute to college from my parents' house was two hours on the subway each way and a 15-minute walk at each end. So five hours. Wow. To get to and from school through the middle of all the craziness that we're, we're talking about. The amount of coffee we drank should have killed us. <laughs> um, yeah, I have a whole long story about my relationship with coffee. Um, But people are doing that kind of stuff all the time in those kinds of city environments. And I wasn't somebody who, you know, I was a student, but there are people that have no resources that figure out ways to survive in the corners and the cracks of all of it. Um, And then there are people with lots of resources who get themselves in trouble because they have more flexibility and can do more stuff. Yeah. Um but you know the <laughs> the size of most apartments for people of relatively modest means in New York is minuscule. And um uh, everybody is really crammed together. It's, you know, we think of the luxury of the people who are really wealthy and they there are few and far between, you know, there's a lot of them in a place like New York. There's millions of people there, but um, most people, it's complicated and a struggle.
1: Yeah. Well, let's uh, leave it there before we start getting overly political. <laughs> <laughs> uh, David, it's been really great having you uh, talking to us. Uh, I really enjoyed this this hour we've had. Uh, just tell us uh, how people can get in touch with you.
0: You can find me at househealing.com. And cleverly hiding on the contact tab is every way Possible to get in touch with me. I do a twenty-minute free phone conversation to do an assessment of whatever you know, person, place, situation, um, and see what I how my work might be helpful. So there's a link for that. The internet radio show, which is on empowerradio.com, um, all the information for that is at thefarcusfiles.com. And we've been doing that for four and a half years, I think. So it's hundreds and hundreds of interviews with amazing people. Um, and the last time I checked, we had the most hits on Empower Radio, which is quite an honor. Um, Empower Radio has shows running 24-7, all with a positive outlook and uh, important information for people. So it's definitely check it out.
1: Yeah, there's some some good stuff there. Yep. Yep. Uh, well David, uh, thank you once again It's been uh, a really enlightening talk
0: Thanks so much Graham Always great to hang out with you
1: Well that's going to do it for this episode of Adventures in Dowsing If you have any comments about the show that you would like to share send an email to podcast at com or you can uh, start a discussion and leave a comment on particular episodes if you go to the website, adventuresanddowsing.com. And if you're an iTunes subscriber and enjoy the podcast, please take a few minutes to give us a good review. It all helps. So thanks for listening. My thanks, as always, to Hilary Brooks, Ian Pegler, and Not For Pussies for the music, and be sure to join me next time for more Adventures in Dowsing.